and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Chenick & King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. We're back from our holiday break. Happy 2022 to our listeners. And today we have a special episode. I'm turning over the reins to Bond member Jessica Copeland. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for doing this. It's actually a privilege for me to be able to be the guest host and learn more from the master. As I jokingly emailed you a couple of weeks ago when I was invited to be the guest host, it is that moment where the student becomes the master. And you have masterfully hosted and created a series that is informative and interesting and has an incredible listener following. So thank you for, oh for creating Legally Bond and for becoming the face or the voice rather of Bond, Shenick and King. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> of course, of course. But that's really just the beginning of who Kim Wolf Price is. And I wanted to start out with a little bit of your background. I know as the attorney professional development and diversity officer, what your many hats include just by virtue of working with you pretty regularly. But if you could just give us a little background about you know, how you went from Colgate with a bachelor's of arts and to Syracuse Law School, and then decided to obtain a diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell University, and then landed here. Sure. Okay. Well, it's definitely not, it might not seem like a direct path, but I think it's probably a little more direct than than it appears on paper. So yeah, I graduated from Colgate University with a bachelor's of art in English. So that's why you and I are a good match. Your math, I'm English. We cover all bases there. <laughs> yin and, and yang. Yes, exactly. And then I went to work in politics and um, worked on campaigns. And then I lobbied on child welfare issues and did a lot of reading regulations. And true story, I got in an argument with governor's council. And that paper I had written in sixth grade, where I was going to be a lawyer married to a lawyer when I grew up, <laughs> came to mind. And I registered for the LSATs and start, I took the February LSATs. And by August of that year, I was in law school. So, so you're argumentative? Is that what yeah, I mean? Yes, I believe that might be um, a, <laughs> maybe a piece where if I see a wrong, it, I want to fix it. So Passionate. Passionate. There you go. That's it. Exactly. So I picked Syracuse Law for a couple of reasons, but you know, as a first-generation college graduate and then law student, I won't lie, a big part of it was the fantastic financial aid package. So, but it was a great spot for me. It was a, a great learning experience, professors, and uh, funny enough, that whole sixth-grade paper about being married to a lawyer. I met my husband in law school. <laughs> Into fruition eventually. Kind of weirdly did, even though I, I will admit, I swore to all my friends I would not date a fellow law student when I got there. So of course you did. Yes. <laughs> so so we've talked a lot about the commonality we have in that when we both graduated law school, although we didn't know each other at the time, we entered what's called big law uh, in New York City. And it's it is a different world of practice. I think you and I have, have talked about that at length, yeah. but can you talk a little bit about your experience at Clifford Chance, I believe, right? Yeah, Clifford Chance in the New York City office. I was in the um, litigation and dispute resolution group, and I did a lot of internal investigations and white collar criminal defense, and then some pro bono criminal defense. And, you know, it is a different world. When you look at the difference in billable hours, we're talking like seven weeks a year, 
different than some of the firms across the 90 corridor. While we have great attorneys who do fascinating work here, definitely. I think I got the right training in New York City at that firm. And I didn't leave it because I hated it. I left it because it was the time in my life, my career, and for our family where it was time to move. But there is an adrenaline rush about it. And I'm forever grateful for that time. It was really a great learning experience. And, and I'll admit a lot of what I do now, I worked very closely with the hiring partner. You know, we'd be in the back of a car stuck on the FDR trying to get down to federal court. And he would like be like, this is why I do this. This is why I'm doing this. Whether it's about the case or about hiring and recruiting and talent. So it's just kind of been an, an interesting circle. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, my experience was similar in that it's a great place to start and you grow in many different ways, working hours that you didn't know you had the capacity to do until you saw your hourly reports on a weekly basis. But you're right in that sometimes it's just the right time. And there's a that song from the 90s. I'm blanking on the name, giving away my generation perhaps, but, you know, live in New York for a while, but not too long because you don't want to get too hard. And um, yeah. I, I think it's true. I think it's a, it's a fantastic city to start a career in, but the level of sophistication of work that we do at Bond is that same level. And it's, yeah. a, a, but the transition is to recognize that there's more to life than work. So I'm glad yeah. that you reached that point. Thank you. I'm glad you did as well. Should we tell people that our funny commonality is that we have the same birthday a decade apart? You were born on my birthday. <laughs> yes. We will not share what that is because no. I am a data privacy attorney, nor will we share which years we are talking about and That's what right. decade. <laughs> so you moved to Syracuse from New York City. Yes, we did. Yep. And what was that transition like in your career? Yes, I'll admit. So I was also a mom of a one-year-old at the time. And I'd gone back to practice at Clifford Chance and got fantastic cases. You know, I will say this forever. One of my mentors walked down the hall and said, I saved these depositions for you. And that also informs, you know, how I work with junior women attorneys and how I look at things because that made me feel like, all right, here I am back. And I was supported. And the hiring partner member I talked about always had great work for me. So I came up here and it was a little different. I did start, I was at a sort of a, for here, a mid-sized firm for about a year. And during that time, I got a call from Syracuse Law saying, so what are you doing? And I was like, you know what I'm doing. And another mentor, a woman named Alex Epsilanti, who is still a big influence in my life said, yeah, I think you should come work here. You should work with students. You've always liked that. And so I interviewed for a job at Syracuse Law. And for a few months, I was an associate director in this uh, professional and career development office. I started teaching a class about three months after I got there. And then before the year was up, I was the director. And then a year or so later, the assistant dean in that department. So it gave me the chance to work with students, which is something I've always wanted to do. And is that what sparked your interest in you know, general attorney and professional development? Is that how we were fortunate enough to, <laughs> to find you and to lure you to bond? Yeah, I'd say that in part. And then at Clever Chance, when you were a second year, you'd get a summer associate as an office mate because of the British model to mentor. And my office mate was like, you need one of those signs like Lucy from Peanuts that says like the doctor is in because everyone comes in here all the time asking for advice. 
So I don't know if that's something that's sort of been innate in me, but definitely that role, because whatever I do, I kind of dive into and like to research and learn more about. And so that role definitely sparked my interest in like, how does the profession work? How do law firms operate? How can we develop attorneys in a way that like, you know, keeps them from not burning out, like maybe happens to some of our colleagues more frequently in New York City. And so that was definitely a big part that that time frame shaped that a lot for me. And I also want to focus probably the remainder of our, our time, although I, I do believe you and I could probably speak for hours um, yes. about really any topic. Absolutely. But, so I will I will try to stay concise <laughs> with these questions, but the role of a diversity officer at Bond, what does that entail? And how did you get into that space as well? Yeah. Okay. So um, it's kind of funny. I think this will come out uh, right about my two-year anniversary at the firm. Month is my two-year anniversary and the two-year anniversary of the role of diversity officer at Bond. So law firm diversity officer, when I, I was talking about this role with our managing member, Kevin Bernstein, I was talking about coming over from the law school. One of the pieces that i felt was important was that obviously it was about diversity and inclusion within the firm, making sure all voices are at the table, making sure that we're being thoughtful in our hiring and that inclusion and equity were part of it. But I was pretty adamant that it also had to be about the profession as a whole, because in order to make these changes, we have to look at our profession more holistically. So while at the law school for a different periods of time. Diversity and inclusion efforts were also under my department, something I was always active with even when it wasn't. It's just, I think that really comes from growing up in a Rust Belt city, starting out with a really diverse group of friends and having sleepovers where everyone looked different. And then at some point, realizing that I might have been the first person in my family to get a bachelor's degree, but white privilege was real for me. And suddenly I look back and I, I didn't know where all those people were anymore. And I wanted to know why. And so that's really kind of what triggered it. So at the law firm, it comes down to to better serve clients, whether they are Fortune 500 or 100 companies, or whether they are you know people where you're working on an individual trust and estate or anything in between. You have to know their perspective. You have to understand and see it from a different lens. And the more voices at the table, I mean, your attorneys and your paralegals and your staff, the better you serve clients. So in what areas do you see diversity and inclusion either emerging within Bond or being prioritized at Bond? Yeah, so I I think that, you know, we're making steps. We're trying to build a foundation underneath, right? The, The will and the desire is there, but you need to actually sort of build structure and foundation. So when I started, we started something simple as like, do we have a diversity statement that we can try to live up to? So we worked on creating that. We just had an all-female member class elected at the firm, which is pretty amazing. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and frankly, I give much credit to our diversity officer, oh. Wolf Price, for, for the progress and professionalism that is, is exhibited by you and that uh, really does infiltrate the many pathways of the firm. But yes, I'm excited for the all-woman member class that, well, it will be announced by the time we air. So that is excellent. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. I mean, and so I think in other ways, like we've started our affinity group, Bond Pride, and we're working on developing other affinity groups so that people can come together around a a commonality, whether it's as an ally or as someone coming from an eye perspective. And 
then there's a lot of individual subtle things that we're doing to sort of build that foundation, like looking at policies of the firm to say, you know, is this policy inclusive and equitable? When they're drafted, they're of course meant to be, but we we have to sometimes take a step back and, and look again. So there's been a lot of moving pieces. I joked with an associate yesterday that my problem is I created this workload for myself. Like when I have crazy long days, I'm like I totally did this to myself. I took on all of these things, but it's important. And and then for our external piece, some of what we're looking at is, you know, the Von Schenneken King Race and Justice in Central New York series, where we just won an award from the New York State Bar Association. And I have to say, I have to shout out one of my favorite groups to work with is the Buffalo Niagara Partnerships, Diversity Executive Exchange, and the Executive Council. I'm learning so much from folks out there, and I really can't wait until we can get together in person. Who thought as I enter year two with them that we would still be remote? But you learn a lot from people in other industries, and I think that sometimes the law forgets that, but, but Bond is really embracing that. Agreed. I very much look forward to reconvening in person, and it is unfortunate that we're two years into this never-ending pandemic? Is it now an endemic? And I guess, you know, that raises a question of, have, have you seen diversity and inclusion initiatives strained or challenged much like many other ideas or concepts or initiatives during this COVID pandemic endemic that we're living in? Yeah, it's, there's, I guess there's two pieces on that. One is it's tough to not get together when talking about some of these issues, right? Like you can talk about them on Zoom and we've been bringing in, I think, very strong speakers and having conversations, but the little things like the lunch and learns where people can come together, I really, I think those are important because it personalizes things. It makes it more human. It makes it more immediate. So that's been tough. And of course, in the middle of all of this, right, there's the murder of George Floyd and reactions that were coming out and from clients and other places and people not knowing how to react or what to do. What I'm hoping is that the organizations that began diversity initiatives then keep it up, learn from it, and and that we can move forward. But yeah, it's been, I think we all thought we'd be able to come back together around these issues. And it's good that we're moving forward, but it is tough to not have time in person. It is. And I, so I, uh, I sit on the board of the YWCA of Western New York and yeah. we had a diversity and equity training session, but it was virtual. And I, much like many of those conversations, it would be so much better in person to have that dialogue, to get yeah. that rhythm of communication and just, you feel a vibe from from people. And, and sometimes the video conference just takes away emotion. And so I think looking forward for many of the initiatives that, that we have had at the firm by Zoom to eventually be in, in a room together will be so much more effective. And, and it has been effective, you know, again, to, to the credit of the Women Initiative Committee and Jennifer Bowles' leadership on, yeah. as chair, that has been one of the most substantive committees that I've been a part of in my profession in that space. And it is much more than just a bunch of women attorneys getting together. It is fostering diversity, fostering inclusion, and creating substantive programming for our colleagues, our staff, our attorneys and professionals. So that's been, to me, a a highlight of the best that we can do during COVID. Yeah, I agree with you that that's been, you know, at some points, it's been just a nice relief moment to all get together to talk about 
you know, how the law firm operates or to have a book club discussion, whatever it may be to talk about what's revenue realization, <laughs> you know, right. but, so it's been a variety of topics, but it's been really important. And, and that's, I'm going to, this is one of my messages that I know all young lawyers and students get angry with me about, but networking matters, right? Like I knew Jen Bull before I took this role. So working with Jen, we could immediately just pick up and go and start working on that kind of programming, and which was really helpful when then six weeks into my job, the pandemic hit and, and we went off remotely for a while. I will say that, you know, there are some pieces of remote that do actually foster equity and inclusion. And that's in a meeting, short people like me, like I'm, I can be seen in a box. I'm not peering behind someone, people who might not speak up as much. The leader, if a leader is being really attentive in a meeting can see like, it looks like that person wants to say something and either message that person or say, do you have some thoughts we'd love to hear? And and it can make some more equitable. So I I think that if we learn from all of this, we're going to be a lot stronger using both of these formats. I agree with that. And, And you'll probably be surprised to hear that I had early on heard some challenges that some women were facing in video conference meetings and teleconference meetings, feeling like they were, you know, spoken over or weren't able to get a word in edgewise. And I actually had not had that experience personally, but I think I have the ability to speak over people. So I apologize if I did that to you. I think hopefully this experience and the practice of video conference for young women in the profession has given them time to learn to interject because they just need to. And, you know, your opinion and your thoughts are critical to a team effort. And so um, hopefully our listeners, if if you're in law school or early in your profession and you found that it's challenging as a, a woman to get your point across, never hesitate to just open your mouth and talk and tell those that team what your opinion is and how you can influence a decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think for women, for members of the BIPOC community or LGBTQ plus communities and others, a big piece of that too is if you're a leader or a manager, pay attention in those meetings. Pay attention if you're not hearing all the voices and make sure that you are bringing all the voices into the conversation, right? We have to be intentional about this work and we have to be intentional about developing our talent, which is why maybe these two roles aren't as disparate as they appear. You talked earlier about mentors in your early profession as an attorney and through your career, but I also recognize that you are an incredible mentor to to many associates, whether in bond or outside. And so why do you take on that role as mentor? And and is it it an intentional action? Is it accidental? Or if you could just provide us a little bit of an insight into why Kim Wolf Price enjoys being a mentor? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, I think it might be a little both. It might be a little intentional and a little accidental. I um, I had to work when I moved into the sort of counselor role at the law school to not take things personally. When people, you know, were pushing back, I had to think why this isn't about you. And I had to really work on that sort of perspective early in that time period. And, And then I realized if I could just give new attorneys a little space and give them a place where they felt that they could just be honest, it really helped them develop. It helped them feel comfortable to maybe speak up in a meeting or feel comfortable to ask a question or comfortable to say, you know, actually, I 
don't want to be a corporate attorney, or actually, I don't want to be a public interest attorney. I, I might have come in with that, but now I have a change. And so it's really, I, it's going to sound so hokey, maybe, but I completely, one of my favorite things, one of the most like amazing moments is seeing them 10 years later and like calling them my colleague and, you know, being here and being able to work with so many young attorneys or new attorneys who I saw at the law school. It's really, it's pretty fantastic. So if you could offer just one piece of advice, and I, I know you probably have many pieces of advice, depending <laughs> My on- My sons would say I have too many pieces of advice. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, just one piece of advice for a junior lawyer, what would that be? I think it would be to make sure that you don't just let your career happen to you. I think quite often we're like, well, I got this job and I got this practice area, so I'm just going to do this thing. But if you take a moment and take a step back once in a while, think like, well, I might be in this business group, but I really like data privacy. Can I get you know, into data privacy? Or you know, I, I really like this part of labor law, but I really want to work on handbooks or arbitrations or don't just let it happen to you. You, I know it feels like you have no control, particularly if you're at a, a big agency or a big law firm like ours or even bigger, but you do, right? You can talk to the people. You can figure out the work you like best. Don't let it just happen to you and get sort of in a rut because being a lawyer is hard. It's a lot of work. It's hard, but it's incredibly rewarding. You get to work with really cool, smart people. And if you're doing something that you like, it really makes it so much better. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining today to listen to our premier host as the speaker and guest on Legally Bond. Again, it was a great privilege and honor for me to even try to fill your shoes, Kim, as the guest host. Excellent. Always, Jessica. And thanks so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is Attorney Advertising.